Like the coach is there to be our ambassador, to be our advocate, to be our partner. They're also the ones that are there to tell us the things that we need to hear or say the things to us that need to be said that other people might not just come out and say to us. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm J.R. Flatter. I remain in an undisclosed location in the Caribbean Sea with our good friend, Lucas, our co-host. How you doing, Lucas? Hello. Good. Josh, I've known you for a decade, but I don't think I've ever heard you say your last name. So there's many ways to say your last name. I'll take a guess at it. Josh Mueller. We've known Josh for, gosh, probably a decade and a half uh, as a businessman. And uh, we wanted to bring him into the show to learn about what he's doing. Remind everybody who we're talking to, who we're thinking about leaders of complex organizations trying to compete and succeed. Not trying to. I think I say that every time, Lucas. Competing and succeeding in the 21st century labor market and all of the complexities that go along with that. So, Josh, we'll toss to you. And this is one of those times in your life we want you to be a little braggadocious. Don't be humble. Tell us about all the great things you're doing. Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, actually Josh Muller. So thank you, JR. Appreciate you, man. And yeah, it's been over 15 years. We've known each other and been working together. And it's been an honor and a pleasure to get to watch you lead and do such great work over the years. I've been in business for myself for many years as a coach, as a consultant. We've helped, if you've ever heard of Cutco Cutlery, I started out as a college kid selling knives. And my wife and I, over the years, we met through the business and over the past 22 years, have built one of the largest distributorships in the world with Cutco independently. And then we've also, as uh, consultants and leaders within the organization, have helped develop over 350, currently almost 400 professional salespeople who sell Cutco as a living, focusing on providing service, consistent quality communication with their clients, and building a culture of loyalty with their customers, and uh, really build a full-time sustainable business that they're able to rely on to support their families and their lifestyles and also continue to grow and develop them as professionals. We've also helped the corporate side of Cutco build multiple sales channels that were never there before, staff those sales channels with, you know, corporate support systems, programs for training tools and support, as well as people who can, you know, participate in those programs and thrive. We've helped them build multiple channels to the tune of, you know, one channel does $40 million a year consistently in sales. Another channel does over $100 million a year in sales. And we work with people at all levels of the business. So, you know, we also help them run their national training conferences every year, regional and divisional training conferences. Uh, And then we also run our own marketing consulting business where we help entrepreneurs and professional salespeople build their lifestyle and their business at the same time without having to feel like they have to sacrifice one for the other. And we have some agency work that we do from a marketing standpoint with design and you know, print mail marketing, email marketing, things like that. We also have our own CRM platform that we've developed to help people simplify the CRM process within a business and customer, you know, contact, you know, organization and communication and things. And then we also um, have a thriving coaching business. So 
you know, we coach entrepreneurs and stuff like that too, who want to take it to the next level. So that's kind of a, in a nutshell, what we do, it's a lot of things. And uh, I'm very grateful I get to partner with my wife, Amy, in this business because uh, I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for her, that's for sure. So, Well, thanks for that. And I only knew the nice side of that. So that's impressive stuff. Congratulations. So I sell services and you do too. And you also sell stuff. You sell knives. A lot of the people that we work with are in transition and have this idea of being that freelance coaching entrepreneur. And it sounds like you've dialed into that as well. What do you tell somebody who's thinking of stepping out into that world, one of one or build a team? Yeah, I mean, if you're thinking about moving from what is currently a professional space where you're in a very structured environment and then going out on your own and opening your own business and becoming kind of your own boss, your own salesperson, right? Your own everything. I think that uh, the first thing I'd say is be prepared to just, you know, fail forward. If you haven't read the book Failing Forward by John Maxwell, it's definitely a great tool to understand. I think a lot of people take one step out, dip their toe in the water, run into their first challenge, obstacle, whatever, and then that scares them back into kind of their shell where they came from. And uh, I would just say that, you know, it takes certain things to be a high performer in today's world, right? You need to have vision, uh, some purpose. Now, don't get all caught up in the purpose like a lot of people do and then never move because of that. You don't want to be stuck in inertia, of course. But understand like why you're doing it. What's the objective you're trying to achieve? Um, Why is this important to you and your family? You know, have the courage to step out there and and be comfortable being uncomfortable and uh, living outside the comfort zone because it takes time to kind of figure things out. And anything that you learn, document it. Um, And that's on the good side and on the challenging side, right? So... You know, I would say that one of the most important things to do if you want to be successful and make it work long term is to document everything. So, you know, if you figure out a way that you want to do something from A to Z, maybe that's a sales cycle or maybe that's a coaching conversation to help someone break through the next level or it's writing a consulting contract. Document all of those things and and put down all the step by steps, you know, that helps you get from having nothing to having something. Right. What was the process from? When you first reached out to JR to see if he would hire you as a consultant to actually landing the deal and having JR ink the contract, right? Because anything that you learn to be successful at, you want to be able to replicate that success over and over and over again. And the only way that you can do that is if you have a good understanding of what it took from A to Z to get there, what worked and what didn't work as well. And then the great thing is once you've replicated that over and over and over again, now it can be systemized. And we've found the gateway to freedom um, and building our own business has been getting really tuned into what it takes step by step to make something happen. And then also building a system around that that allows that to be replicated the same way over and over and over again. Now, obviously, there's little you know, nuances to each customer relationship or each customer conversation, but those nuances are easier to tune into when you are following a systemized approach. And you pick up on them quicker, you can adapt to them quicker when you have a system that you're able to follow from A to Z to make things happen. But the best part is the freedom that comes from that. So once you get good at it, you've proven like this is our way. What's great about that then is that you can, when you have a documented process and a system that backs it up, now you have the ability to teach it. You have the ability to help other people understand how to do it for you, which gives you the ability to hire help, team up, build out, and uh, in the long run, actually develop 
the team that you need to be able to be successful at a high level without having to do everything yourself as the solopreneur, as the entrepreneur. So that's true, even if you're running a coaching business. So, you know, I started by myself eight years ago, or well, really, I've been coaching for over 20 years, but officially a coaching company uh, eight years ago. And we now built up to the point where we have five full-time coaches with us. We're training two new coaches right now. I've got two strategic partners that help me bear the burden of the entire you know, business and, and the support and you know, everything that goes into our community and what we do to serve them at a high level. And it's, I'm really grateful that we learned that process a long time ago because we've been able to replicate that process as we built our coaching business as well. Near the beginning of uh, when you were talking about your career and in your background, you you mentioned the support of your wife and and how it's about your lifestyle in addition to um, the services you're providing in the business that you're doing. So, how does that look to you? That work life balance when you are out on your own as an entrepreneur, how does it look to you? I think there's two things I'd share. One would be read a book by Matthew Kelly. It's titled Off Balance. And it really dives into the concept of work-life balance, both sides of that, like the truisms of that, as well as the fallacies of that. It's very research-based. And Matthew actually goes out, and I don't know if he did the research himself or if he compiled the research from multiple studies that have been done, but basically it, it dives into like the CEOs and the highest performers in the world and you know how they actually, quote-unquote, balance their schedules, right? And uh, it's a very eye-opening philosophy and view or perspective on the work-life balance concept or theory, right? So I'd start with that, number one. I think that's an incredible tool to kind of inform how we might perceive that belief or that, that belief system, basically, right? Second, I think that, you know, one of the things we've really cracked the nut on and we pride ourselves in is that, you know, lifestyle has always been something we take pride in, but also hard work. And like earning the privilege of the success that we have, right? You know, a couple of my business partners, I, I love some of their mantras. Like one of my business partners always says, growth is never guaranteed and we're not entitled to it. It's something we have to earn consistently. And in today's world, especially where like, you know, hard work is almost like a bad word. To me, I grew up in a family where my parents were hard workers. Um, I got a strong work ethic from them. My wife the same. We take pride in our work ethic, but we also believe that we shouldn't have to sacrifice our lifestyle to build our business or vice versa. We should also shouldn't have to sacrifice our business to have a lifestyle. So how do you crack that nut, right? And one of the things that we've learned is that um, we follow a framework or philosophy that we refer to as lead with lifestyle. So it's kind of taking a balanced approach, if you will, to how you plan things as an entrepreneur. Anybody that is an entrepreneur, you guys probably know yourselves, like it's not in the schedule, it doesn't get done, right? And so, and there's also this like, like when, when we get in entrepreneurship, it's like an unspoken agreement that we will always have a to-do list that is longer than the amount of time we have to do it. And the to-do list never ends. It just keeps growing, right? No matter how close you get to completing it, there's just always more things to add to it the next day. And so, and that's normal and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I think taking that approach of seeing it that way is important. But knowing those things, it's really important to make sure that we're planning and scheduling in a way where our lifestyle is being prioritized. So we teach a philosophy we call the seven F's, um, seven F's of lifestyle. So it's, um, you know, your fun and free time. That's one. Second would be your family and friends. That's two. You know, third one would be your finances. Fourth one would be your fitness. Fifth one would be your fulfillment. 
And sixth one would be your forward focus or what we refer to in you know, the general world as personal professional development. And then the, the seventh one, that'd be the sixth one and the seventh one would be faith, right? But those are the, what we've defined as the seven most common Fs, if you will, of someone's personal life. And if you're putting time and attention into each one of those areas, you're going to be living a, a lifestyle that you can feel really great about. And then it's easy to build the business around that. So we teach people, hey, you know, identify like what is the one or two focus areas that you really want to move the needle with in your seven Fs right now in your life this year? If you were to say like what's an objective you want to achieve this year or something you want to be committed to this year, what are the minimum standards in terms of frequency and amount of time you want to allot to each one of those areas? And get really clear on those things, journal those things out. And then when you're making a business plan, when you're setting goals for the year, for the quarter, for you know the month, whatever, make sure that the first thing you do is take the big rocks in your lifestyle and put those in your calendar first. Then take the big rocks in your business, put those in your calendar next. Then go back to all the little rocks and pebbles and the sand in your lifestyle and build that all in and then go build the rest of your business in around that. And what you'll find oftentimes is that there's plenty of time to prioritize your lifestyle and still get all the things done in the business that are most important to get done. And what is great about this is it creates this kind of self-fulfilling cycle of instead of feeling like I'm always sacrificing my, my lifestyle in order to get things done in the business, because I'm prioritizing my lifestyle and building my business around it, now I'm always living my lifestyle as a result of my business and the work that I'm doing and how my business supports that lifestyle which that's a very positive cycle to be in um, on a you know, regular basis versus the other one, which is a very negative cycle to be in on a regular basis. And so, you know, this might look like something like I'm a very busy, I have like five, you know, full-time businesses that my wife and I operate and lead and um, we keep ourselves busy all the time, but that's out of a place of choice, not out of a place of necessity. And what's great about it is, you know, it's like, I decided a couple of years ago, after 20 years of not really working out consistently, hey, I want to prioritize my fitness and my physical health. Like nutrition's on point, rest is on point, hydration is on point, but I'm missing that physical fitness piece. So I hired a personal trainer. I said, okay, at a minimum, I need to be working out three to five days a week, every week. I would need to figure out a routine for on the road because I travel a bit. And I also need to figure out a routine for at home um, when I'm just enjoying you know, my house. And I need some support and accountability. And so I developed, I decided on some minimum standards and a minimum three to five times a week, road routine, home routine, I need to hire a trainer. And I put all those things in my calendar. That became a top priority. Now when I sit down and make my plan, my schedule for the year, I know clearly what my minimum standards are in that one F area of my life, as well as all the others now. But, and I built those things in first, built my business in around it. And I've not, I'm in the best shape of my life now. And it's a result of me prioritizing that and, and just making that first, like leading with lifestyle in that way versus, you know, for many years, I was always like, oh, I'll do that when I have time or I'll, I'll do that when I'm not as busy in the business or I'll do that when, you know, it was just like that, that time never came, right? Which I think that's true for, that can happen to any of us and all of us probably still happens to many of us on a regular basis, but just being aware of those things and having a strategy and a framework for how you can actually make it work um, in a way that actually helps. So you dropped a small whisper, or probably a big whisper, faith in there. Gives a little insight into you. A lot of people in our audience come from a place of faith. I wouldn't say it's a majority, but I would say a good number. But a lot of them also come from a place of service. And I wouldn't mean service like consulting service, but service literally. Law enforcement, military, first responders. And a lot of those folks have 
a challenge in sales because it's all about serving. And now suddenly it's about a dollar. Talk to us about how'd you get that sales mindset? Yeah, well, you know, there's so many faiths out there. And I think faith is a general term for whatever you believe in, whether you believe in, you know, a specific religion, God, the universe, energy, whatever it is for you. To me, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just what's true for you and being cool with that, right? I love this question, JR. Thank you for asking it because I think it's so important. You know, we grew up in a world, at least I did, where sales had this like negative connotation to it. And it was always words like you guys can probably think of things if you're listening to this, like what are the words that come to mind when you think of sales or salespeople or salesmen? It's like, you know, car salesman's number one, always sleazy, dirty, you know, pushy, you know, lies, all this sort of stuff. There's all these negative things that are associated with it. And I think that um, in the beginning, I had that same thought too, but those were all beliefs that were kind of imprinted upon me growing up. I wasn't really aware of. And luckily, I worked in an organization where personal development was king. And we had a culture of no backstabbing, help each other out. Like I had multiple mentors in, in my cuckoo business growing up in the cuckoo world that when I reached out to them and say, hey, I'm basically know nothing. Can you please help me learn how to be successful? They were like, yes, absolutely. And you know, there's generations and generations of people who've been raised in our business that way because that's always been the company culture. And so, you know, it's the abundance mindset, not the scarcity mindset. Now, saying that, having said that, um, I was able to learn very early on that sales can also be service if you let it be, but that's a choice you have to make. So when you get in the game of sales, it's very easy to get in and be very money motivated. That's where I was. I was at the time on probation and I had $1,200 a month I had to pay as my budget to pay off all my bills and stay out of trouble. And I was a full-time college kid and I had zero sales experience and zero business experience, right? So I really had no business being in business. But I, uh, I you know, went for it. I believed in this long-term vision that I created with, you know, for myself with my manager and mentors. And, and I just said, I'm going to give it my all. And, and the biggest thing I learned most quickly was the power of service. Having a service, I call the purpose of service mindset. Right. So it was about the money for me in the beginning, but I very quickly realized that if it's always about the money, it's about the sale, if it's about the size of the order, if it's about whatever, if I make it about me, which that is what that is, right? When you're all about the money, it's all about you. You get what's called what we refer to as commission breath, which customers and clients and prospects, they could pick up on it really quickly, right? Commission breath is very stinky. Nobody wants to smell it. People want to run from it, right? And so I've found the fastest and easiest way to keep your breath clean and to, you know, really move forward in a way you can feel great about is to make it about how many people you're serving. What level of service can you provide and how often and how consistently and how quickly can you provide that service? So to me, I look at it and say, you know, um, when I sell my product, it's not about the money that goes in the bank account, which is easy, I get for me to say after 22 years of experience and the success that we've had, right? But even way back at the beginning, when I was struggling for rent checks, and, you know, one year I had a deer and had to use the insurance check to pay my, you know, pay my rent instead, because I just didn't have the money. Now, I did go back and eventually fix my car, but it's like sometimes you end up in those situations, right? Especially when you're 100% commission. But for me, it was um, it was really about like, you know, when I make a big sale, I have a bulletproof confidence and conviction of my product and our service. 
And I know that that investment my client is choosing to make with me is in their best interest. I'm not misleading them. I'm not trying to sell them stuff they don't need. I'm not trying to help them do something that is not aligned with what they want to achieve as a client or as a prospect or as a customer, right? We're solving problems. We're meeting needs and we're working to help people come closer to the hopes and dreams that they're wanting to see for themselves. And so if I have a full conviction in my product and my service, then I know every single time a client decides to do a deal with me that that is of service to them. Even in our coaching business, right? We have a track record of success. So when we interview people, we tell them, hey, this isn't about whether or not our program is going to work. We know it works. We have years of experience and, and hundreds of people we've helped over the years. This is really less about that and more about whether or not you're going to show up and do the work to get the most out of it. And if you're willing to commit to that, if you're willing to do that, then by all means, we feel like you're a good candidate and you're aligned with us. We'll also tell people when we feel like they're not and refer them somewhere else. We have no problem doing that. Abundance versus scarcity, right? It's like when we pull that person in, it's, it's really on them. Like as a customer, are you going to actually use this product that you're choosing to invest in? Are you going to actually show up and do the work to get the most from the service? If not, tell me now because let's go a different direction. But if you are, then we're committed too. We're going to give it 100%. So let's do this together and let's, let's get you there faster. So that's the way that I see it is if you really believe in your product and service and really understand your long-term, not just your short-term value proposition, but your long-term value proposition, if you're really connecting with people to understand their struggles, their challenges, their hopes, their dreams, and you feel truthfully that your product can actually you know, authentically align with helping them overcome those challenges and problems and struggles and achieve those hopes and dreams, then how is that not a service? Yeah, I really like that as well. And I just watched this movie last night about Nike and their experience signing Michael Jordan. It's called Air. But it was Phil Knight had this quote that he said, if we do the right thing as a business, we make money automatically. You know, so you've kind of touched upon those kinds of systems that you've put in place to kind of and doing the right thing and making the right decisions. Is there a way that you kind of can balance that with sometimes you might need to make a more risky decision or, you know, move in an entirely new direction. How do you kind of balance the systems versus the stuff that comes up and new opportunities, I I suppose? Yeah, great question. So first of all, I'm excited to see air. Oh, was it great? great? Okay, cool. It's on our list. So we're excited for that. Yeah. So I think one big thing is, a big question to ask is, where do you see yourself 12 months from now, 24 months from now, three, three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now? Have you really worked out what your long game strategy is here? You know, do you want to be exiting in 10 years or three years? You know, getting really clear on what that runway looks like for you long term, in the short term, but also the long term, right? So it's the one year, three year, five year, 10 year. Working those things out and really thinking about not just where do we want to be in terms of numbers and profitability and value and stock price or things like that, right? But more in terms of who do we want to be as a company? How do we see ourselves showing up? You know, what types of clients do we want to be serving? At what level do we want to be serving them at? What do we want to stand for as a business? What are our values? These are, I think, the big important questions that sometimes, especially entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, you know, for the most part, forget to ask as they're getting into business. 
because they're so caught up in like the everyday like rat race of like getting the to-do list done. So, but sometimes we got to pull the lens back and we really need to look and say to ourselves, like, what am I really doing this for? And what's this really all about other than just the bank account, right? Defining our values as a business is critical. And in doing so, what happens then when other opportunities, because what I've learned is that the more successful you become, the more opportunities present themselves to you, right? And so nowadays it's like, we get job offers all the time. We get clients reaching out to us, wanting to do work with us all the time, all that sort of stuff. And so because we're tuned into what our business is about, where we see ourselves three, four, five years down the road, what our values are as a company, all that, what our long-term strategy is 10 years or more, it makes it a lot easier to filter those opportunities. So I'm all for taking risk. I'm also more of a calculated risk kind of a guy. My wife and I, we have found in our success equation that 22 years of slow, steady, we call it slow burn growth. Like, you know, there's the bonfire where you pour a bunch of gas on it and you throw a match in it and it rages for like five minutes. And then once the gas is all burned off, it kind of comes down. Then there's also that eternal flame, you know, that exists at so many memorials that we've all been to or that we've seen before. And that's that flame that it's never huge. It's never raging. It's just a consistent, steady light. And it's always burning rain or shine, right? No matter what day of the week it is, no matter what time of the year it is, summer or winter, it's just always there, right? Ever present. We found that taking that slow burn growth over the course of 10, 20, you know, soon to be 25 years as business owners, that that's actually provided us much greater success over time than making that super risky investment that leverages everything we've got against like this one thing that's going to be like our moonshot thing and having that not pan out. And all of a sudden now we're starting from scratch with nothing, right? To me, it's the difference between buy and hold in the stock market and constantly trying to play the timing of the stock market, right? And, you know, the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows. Like we just like to ride that steady wave of growth. And so in our experience, taking that approach has, has been really the best way to do it. But we also filter those opportunities that come to us through that lens of, does this align with our values or not? Is this outside of our level of comfort with risk or not? You know, if it is outside our level of comfort with risk, that doesn't mean we automatically say no to it. It just means that we do more work with it. Like we do more homework, we do more research, we spend some more time with it. We don't try to force it, right, to fit. We don't want to try to shove a round peg in a square hole or square peg in a round hole. We want to make sure that like, if we say yes to this five years from now, we're not going to look back and regret it because when we do constantly say yes to everything, oftentimes we say yes to things that don't align. And so now we're fracturing kind of our business in multiple different directions. And then it's hard, especially as those things grow and become successful, they grow apart from each other. It's hard to wrap your arms around that. Right. But when you're, consistently choosing opportunities, whether they're risky or not, that keep you in alignment, then you're moving on the same path. Everything's kind of moving in congruence or in alignment with each other. Even as things grow, they're growing together and they're not growing apart, just like a good relationship, right? So that's gold. Thank you. So our tradition is Lucas gets to ask the last question. So this will be my final question. And then Lucas gets to take you home. It's got to be something off the wall from him. So just get ready. So I can read, and you've mentioned several great books. Maxwell, Gladwell. There's one I didn't catch the author and I think Lucas grabbed it. I can read those books. Why do I need a coach? Yeah, great question, JR. So yeah, you know, what I love about reading is that the only way that we get to work with and coach with people who, you know, are some of the greatest leaders in the history of the world, many of whom are no longer with us anymore, is through reading. 
right? And that's something we could do every single day. Reading, though, is also just, it's almost like a time capsule, right? It's like an author took and all the things that made the most sense to them at that time and put them into a box and then shoved that box into a hole. And then us as readers, right? That box is the book. And us as readers, we're finding that time capsule on the shelf and then opening it up and seeing what's inside as we read that book. It's kind of like a picture of exactly where they were at that moment in their life. Now, there are many books that are timeless. Don't get me wrong. But there's also that process. I don't know if any, if any of you listening have ever had this experience where you're implementing something that you've learned. Maybe you heard it on a podcast, you saw it on a YouTube video, you read it in a book, you listened to it on Audible, you, you know, someone taught it to you at a conference or at a lunch, you know, whatever. And you're implementing it. And it's just for some reason, like it's just not clicking for you, right? It's just not quite hitting quite right. It's like that. I baked a cake for the first or second time and like it's there, but it's not 100%. It's like 90% of the way there. Well, in my mind, um, in my experience, a great coach, and don't get me wrong, there's a big difference between great coaches and all the rest of the coaches. So, But a great coach, what they're going to be really great at is they're going to be really great at asking you the questions or sharing with you the experiences and insights that help you bridge the gap between that 90% and that 100%. They're the people who you pay the big bucks to to be able to help you do that faster than if you were trying to figure it out on your own or if you were trying to cobble together multiple different books or multiple different people's, you know, well, I heard this person say this on YouTube. And I heard that person say this on this podcast and they're kind of related and they're sort of similar. So I'm going to try to shove those things together and force those puzzle pieces to fit, right? The coach is really the person that allows you to zoom back and go, okay, let's look at the cover of the puzzle again really quickly. So where do those colors match up? Where's the most likely place that that piece is going to fit best? Right. That's the coach's job is to help you figure out that extra five or 10 percent that you need to, to get it smoothed out. They're the ones that are there to buff off the rough edges. They're the ones that are there to help you put the puzzle pieces together. They're the ones that are there to help remind you. You know, I don't know if anybody here is like a squirrel, but you get you know distracted by that shiny new thing like AI or stuff like that. Right. It's like, you know, they're the ones that, that are there to remind you like, hey, listen, like we've been working together a while. I know you well. I know your values are this. I know your intentions are this. I know your goals are this. I know that we talked about this, this, and this last time or, or in the past. That new thing, does that really keep you in alignment? Or is that actually pulling us out of alignment? Is that just a distraction? Or is that actually the right thing? Like The coach is there to be our ambassador, to be our advocate, to be our partner. They're also the ones that are there to tell us the things that we need to hear or say the things to us that need to be said that other people might not just come out and say to us, right? They're not there to be nice to us all the time. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a very kind coach, but I also have no problem saying the difficult things that need to be said when they need to be said. And, uh, you know, I have no problem going all in with the punches. Like we don't pull anything back or hold anything back because that's what people pay me for. And uh, you don't get that from a book. Right. Thank you. Lucas, take us home. All right. So something um, personally in, in my experience and something I've heard other people kind of expresses you're kind of waiting for that great business idea or that that idea that's going to inspire you to oh i want to take the first steps into entrepreneurship now and i love the cutco knives don't get me wrong but as a 22 year old or or a young person that might not be that passionate about cutlery and and those kinds of things how important is it the product itself in getting somebody off their feet and that kind of thing yeah, that's a great question. So 
One of the greatest blessings I've ever had in my entire life was to get introduced in my first sales job, right? My first service job to the concept of representing a world-class product that's backed by a world-class guarantee. And um, I think it's critical. So, you know, if you're selling trinkets or trash or tchotchkes or whatever, if you're selling a subpar service that, you know, yeah, sure, we got one thing figured out really well, but the other nine things it takes to really like have this help someone grow their business, those are kind of up in the air, you know, or they're kind of rinky dinky, you know, and hopefully nobody notices until after we've got the deal signed, then that's a tough place to find yourself, right? So you can only sell that so much before people start to realize it and then the word just gets out, right? So I think it is critical to make sure that not that you have a perfect product, right? But that you have something that you can honestly say is best in class. So whether that is you trying to disrupt an existing market, like, you know, Dollar Shave Club did years ago, right? Or you're trying to innovate the SaaS industry and just take what is currently 100 steps. And now you have a software platform that can do it, get the same result in 25 steps, right? Or you just are, you know, selling a tried and true product that's been around for generations and you just uh, acquired the company because... Maybe the family that owned it was wanting to get out or ready to cash out on everything they built, regardless what it is. As long as you can make sure that you can honestly say that it's it, maybe it's not a perfect product, but it is a world-class product. It is best-in-class quality. And just as importantly, you're able to back that up with a world-class service or a best-in-class service experience for your customers. Then that is all you really need. But I do think it's critical to have that because when you're able to do that, it takes a lot of the psychology and the guesswork out of it, right? I spend a lot less time on customer service now than because we sell a world-class product in Cutco that's backed by a world-class service than I would if I was selling a cut-rate knife, right? And so I'd also, you know, when I sell a world-class product, I'm able to sell it at a premium price. And so that means that I have to sell a fraction of the orders to get the same level of sales, right? Some companies want to be the lowest cost provider, LCP, right? Uh, which is not a bad thing, by the way. Sometimes that's the position in the marketplace that's most needed at the time. But, you know, if you enter a marketplace like that, I would encourage and challenge someone to think about, like, how do we level up the service we provide so that we can make this a concierge experience for our clients? Even though the product itself may not be something we charge a lot for, I find most clients and customers will actually gladly pay, pay a premium service if they know they're receiving or pay a premium price if, they're, if they know they're receiving a concierge service along with that. And so it's one of those things where it's like, if you're not going to have the quality in the product, then you need to have the premium in the service and vice versa. But the, the ideal world is the premium world-class product aligned with the premium world-class service. And when you do that, you know, people will pay you whatever you want and you won't have to work as hard. So. Yeah, I think lots of people need to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again and we'll see you next time.